This is the What Now Podcast. Have a vision of what they would like to do to make this world a better place. Have that vision down and then do whatever you can to get there. And if something comes along the way that might be out of your control, that inhibits that, still go with it. I mean, nobody planned on Colin dying yesterday. I didn't plan on me breaking my neck. You've got to go with it. Things aren't going to go as you map it out on your vision, but you got to keep moving forward. This is the What Now podcast, where we discuss the stigma that surrounds cultural norms in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in a respectful, open, and honest way in an effort to create more understanding, hope, and healing. I am Mary Alice Hatch, your host. Today, I will be talking with Chad Hymas, who at the age of 27 became a quadriplegic when a 2,000-pound bale of hay fell on his neck, leaving his life forever altered. But Chad's dreams were not paralyzed that day. Chad's experience with pushing through his physical disabilities has allowed him to unleash his mental capabilities. Chad shares how we are only disabled when we allow our negative thoughts and self-defeating behavior to paralyze us. As an inductee into the National Speaker Hall of Fame, Chad has traveled the globe physically and now virtually with his powerful message about how to overcome fear and doubt, allowing us to achieve levels of productivity and influence that we never knew were imaginable. Today, I am here with Chad Hymas. Chad, we're so happy to have you with us. Thank you. Great to have you. We'd like to start by just having you give a little intro about yourself. The listeners can get to know you a little bit about where you're sure. from, your career, and whatnot. So, Sean, let's see. So, I grew up in Salt Lake City, Utah, in a suburb called West Jordan. Went to high school there. Met my wife in high school. And after high school, I went and did some service for a couple of years. Shondell went and got a degree in college. I came home from that service in Thailand, and we were married about four months after I got back. So, that's quick. Oh, wow. Yeah. So <laughs> Jump right in. Yeah, I know. Things have changed since those times. But yeah, that's how it was back then, at least for me. So I'm done. I got married. Our dream's always been to live out in the country. And so we found a place out in Rush Valley, Utah, and started building our dream of having a farm. My dream's always been to raise elk and release them in the Rocky Mountains and, have, and be a guide, have people want to pay to hunt that ground. So we moved out to a place called Rush Valley, which is a farming community just south of Tooele. And we started raising elk. And three years into that, I broke my neck while building that dream, which rendered me paralyzed in all four limbs. That was back in 2001. So from that experience, I lost everything from the armpits to the toes and from the elbow to the fingertip. While I still use my arms for different activities and exercises and things that I can do to get around and get dressed. Now I farm differently. I guess almost 20 years since that accident took place. And I have been traveling, sharing a message on entrepreneurship, leadership, mastering change and adaptation. Uh, really, those have been my topics of expertise or my topics of choice. And been doing that for the last almost 20 years, I guess, or 19 years and been able to share that in about 89 countries. 89 countries. Oh, yeah. my word. That's amazing. So let's just jump right in. That's a great history on your life. Thank you for sharing that. It's tough to put that into a minute and a half, isn't it? <laughs> Hopefully we kept it short and brief. That was perfect. So you became a quadriplegic at the age of 27, yeah. forever changing your life. So yeah. what was your perception? It's just interesting to understand what your perception of those with disabilities was before you had a disability and how that perception has changed now that you've become a quadriplegic. Can you speak to that? Sure. Yes. My disability, I guess I just never was keenly proactive in going up to somebody that might be different. I always had empathy for people that were different, that looked different, that whatever their disability was, never really focused on everybody having a disability, even if it's not visible. But I never was proactive and felt comfortable 
offering service going up to somebody without being asked or volunteering for a service project to help somebody or, hey, do we need to go build a ramp because somebody was injured? And so all 10 of us are going to go over and build a ramp. I, I wouldn't have been the one to necessarily come up with that idea today. Whenever I see anything or have an impression when I see somebody that might be going through a challenge, whether it's physically appealing to my eyes or I just have an intuition, and I'm not saying that I do all the time but, but or that I'm gifted with that, but if I have an instinct or an intuition to go say hello to somebody, I'm much more, I would say, much more proactive and feel much very comfortable, much more comfortable in going up and talking to somebody, seeing how they're doing, visiting with kids in the hallways of the high schools, uh, saying hello to them, going to the special ed class, the special ed department in the high school or the middle school. My kids, I think for every year that they went to high school, their freshman through their senior year for homecoming, they took somebody from Mrs. Ford's special ed class to homecoming and their friends. So the whole class went and they took our bus to do that. And so that would have never happened, right? So things have changed massively in regards to my perspective as it pertains to being proactive versus reactive when I see somebody that drooling. Maybe they, they, they have an uncontrollable drool and they can't control that. Or maybe you can't even understand them. Yet when you go up and say, hello, how are you? And just let them talk, even if you can't understand a word they're saying and intently listen and listen with your heart more than your ears and then respond back. Well, it's nice to meet you. It's great to see that you're out of the football game today. You look great today or you're doing really well or thanks for letting me introduce my daughter, my son to you and make the honor theirs. It's amazing how it impacts their life because they do feel out of place. They do feel like they don't fit in in many cases and they do feel like people don't feel comfortable around them. So Right. It almost diffuses that. Hopefully that makes sense. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. It's interesting how not only your perception changed, but your entire family. The fact that your kids have disabled kids or mentally or physically or whatever the disability is, they take them to the school dance. I mean, it's just neat how your perception is overflowed to your children and your family and that everyone's awareness is a little more heightened because everyone wants to be needed. Everyone wants to be appreciated and recognized and valued. Sure. No, I think they've been raised with it and they understand it and they've taught me things about it as well. So I, I think it's been more watching them and how they've reacted and been around people and their persona and their aurora and their proactiveness as well that has made me be more keen to what I can do to be more proactive. Yeah. And I like what you're talking about too, is that even if they can't respond back to you, the fact that you're acknowledging them and trying to have a conversation and trying to let them speak and have a voice, when I think a lot of people would be intimidated to do that, I think that erases the stigma a little bit around that. Often the visual perception of a disability causes people to create an inaccurate assumption, right? That they're not productive or capable and you can't even speak to them. And I love that you can see past that now because of your situation and your personal connection with that to overlook that. It's powerful. No, I think you're absolutely right. I don't have anything that would add on to what you said, but it is powerful, not necessarily as a credit to me, but it's powerful when you see the reaction and when you see how they react. And and then what's even cool is people tend to follow people. So leaders tend to create followers. And so when one person does it, it creates this, well, now the next person watching or somebody else watching also feels comfortable with it. Now you have momentum and now you're creating a movement to where other people become aware. And I think that's what's happened with some of the greatest movements in the history of our time is when somebody has the courage, and that's a great word to use right now, courage and guts to do something like that, it creates a movement. And I think that's powerful. 
So Yeah, that is. Especially these kids in the school who are able-bodied and maybe recognized and they go out and they invite a child to a dance that maybe has a disability, then people aren't as scared of it. You know Absolutely. what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Take, takes that away. Like, oh, I can do that. He's doing that. And I love that positive movement, that positive change that that creates. I love that. For sure. So in 2003, you set a new world record by wheeling a personal marathon. Oh, we're not going to talk about that. Are oh, my gosh. That? How in the world? 513 miles from no. Salt Lake to Vegas? What was your motivation to do that? That's very, very simple. Well, if it's okay, let's back up a little bit before the accident. My dad is an insurance salesman by trade, and he went to his insurance meeting in Dallas where they take their top producers. And so they had a big celebration and meeting in Dallas, in Fort Worth, Dallas, in Texas. And so my dad went to that a few months before I was injured. And, and while my dad was there, he heard this speaker from a platform. It was a keynote address. I don't know what part of the program the gentleman spoke in. All I know is that my dad was so impressed with this man's speech that he bought his book and his VHS tape. So that tells you how long ago this was. He bought his book and his VHS tape and came home and wanted all of us to watch it. And when I say all of us, I'm talking about my two younger brothers and their spouses. And we never made the time to do that, Mary Alice. We never did that. We never went and watched that VHS tape at my dad's house, even despite countless opportunities and phone calls and invitations to do so. Long story short, a few months later, my dad's oldest son would break his neck out in the farm field. That would be me. And when my dad brought this video for me to watch, this gentleman was in the same circumstance on the video that I was now in. He was also a quadriplegic. My dad not knowing in advance that his son was going to be one. My dad did not know that. But my dad now brought this to me to hear the message. But it resonated with me, not because of the message. He looked and moved like I move today. His hands didn't work. His legs didn't work. He was in a manual, not an electric wheelchair. I found out by watching that tape that he was happily married and that they had two adopted children. His wife's name is Dallas. His name was Art Berg. Mm -hmm. And I found out that he had set a world record in his wheelchair by pushing his chair from Salt Lake City to St. George, Utah. I fell in love so much with that VHS tape and loved watching it over and over again that I needed more of that. It was my drugs. It was my medicine of choice. So my dad just called the pharmacy, which is his office, and ordered everything he had. <laughs> and we did not know that the person that was going to deliver that was going to be Art. So wow. Art delivers that to me. And when he brings that to the hospital up here at the University of Utah, he sets the stuff aside that he brought for me, a bag, and he transfers himself from his wheelchair to my bed and begins undressing. And that's not a sentiment of perversion. He's showing me that I can do this. He's, right, he's trying to empower me. you. Absolutely. Yeah, mm -hmm. in my mind. And he's showing me how he does it without the use of his fingertips or dexterity. He's showing me how he's invented tools and different ways to do this. And so, of course, he has on underclothes and things like that. I want to be very, very respectful. This is very sacred for me, you know, to share this on this podcast. But he did that. And then when he left, he left with the promise that we would visit again. And so after I got out of the hospital, I followed him. There was no social media, no Facebook, no Instagram, no LinkedIn, no YouTube, none of that. It's just on his website and mm -hmm. found out that he was a speaker and he traveled around the world. I went to his house 
in Alpine, Utah. That was cool. And met with his wife and his kids. He came out of the ranch and did a hayride with his family. That was awesome. And then that year in 2002, the Baltimore Ravens won the Super Bowl. The reason why that's significant is because Art was a consultant for them. And so when they won the Super Bowl, Ray Lewis, that was his first year linebacker for the Baltimore Ravens, was playing in the Pro Bowl. So we went to Hawaii to watch him play. Art invited Chandel and I, paid for our tickets. So we went to Hawaii. That was February 16th, 2002. And we watched Art speak to the team. That was cool. We returned back on February the 18th. And on February 19th, the day after, is when I got the phone call. And that was the phone call that Art had unexpectedly passed away in his sleep that night. And I don't think I've ever taken a harder hit. We all have ups and downs, but I've never felt such a great loss, at least up until that point in my life. Yeah. And so that's when I went outside and I started pushing my chair up and down the asphalt. And it came to me. I wonder if I could beat Art's record in my wheelchair. It didn't come to me to speak of that. I started to train. And then after I did that, I started speaking a little bit after I set that world record and it just took off. So that's the answer about your question was, what was the motivation? That was a long six and a half minute answer. I apologize, but it's (laughs) important that people understand how important the little things that we do for other people can end up having such a great impact on the lives of others. Well, he was really like your mentor, right? He came in at the right time showing you the right motivation to get you out of the rut, because that would be a hard place to be in when you're first injured and wondering, what am I going to do? And I love your word saying that, because I think the key word in that is a mentor is just a word that we use to describe somebody that's willing to help somebody else out. In other words, it's not a nurse. He's not a doctor. He had no business being in a hospital that day. He was a postmaster and he delivered something and it grabbed me. And you never know when you're going to be that for somebody else. And so I think it's important for our listeners, including you and I, to be keenly aware of everybody around us and see if we can't do anything to do something to make their day better or to compliment or recognize success or to influence in a way of kindness and good. And you never know where that's going to lead. Yeah. That for me was something that changed my life forever. Just that. I love how he almost modeled for you what your life could become. Like, hey, come out here to Hawaii. Come see what I'm doing. Come see what, was it Hawaii? Yeah. Yep. Yep. It was Hawaii that we watched. And that was the first time that I ever saw him live. That's right. Yeah. He flies you out there. Says, hey, look at what you can become. I'm speaking. I'm doing these things. I'm in the same situation. I've made a life for myself. I just think it's incredible how he took the time and effort to model that for you and to bring you into his life and show you what you could become. That is so Without knowing his future. I mean, he wasn't diagnosed with a terminal disease or anything like that. He he was off the stage who he was on. He was a giver without remembering and a receiver without forgetting whoever gave to him. And to me, that's a true, I just call it discipleship, Mary Alice. That's what I call it. I mean, I just, Mm -hmm. I think that's absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. That is true Christ-like behavior completely. I agree. So going back a little bit to your marathon, so you hit this breaking point where you didn't want to go on any further, but you had this mindset. Oh, the marathon? Is that what you're talking about? The marathon? Yes, the marathon that allowed you to finish that race. Can you talk about that? Well, I I was in uh, Skeet, I think, is when I gave up. There was only 87 miles left. It was day number eight. And I was just tired and and worn out and, and ready to stop. And it was nighttime. It was probably two in the morning or three. We were pushing at that time of the day because it was cooler. 
It was the summertime. It was in the middle of July. And I just stopped. I kind of relate this to the movie Forrest Gump when he just stops and says, okay, I think I'll go home now. That's really what I did. I mean, I just kind of stopped. The Mm -hmm. motorhome stopped behind me. My dad comes out and says, is everything all right? I said, I think I'll go home now. I'm tired. My hands are blistered and bloodied. I've gone further than I thought that I would go or that anybody else thought that I would go. I, I wouldn't be considered a failure. It's been a good marathon and we beat Art's record. We're good, Dad. We said it. And he said, okay, well, that sounds great. Let's go back into the motorhome and get you something to drink. And that's really all he said. So he picked me up and carried me back into the the motor home and sat me on the couch there right behind the driver's seat and we got some Gatorade out and, and he gave me some Gatorade and he said can I visit with you for a second I said sure and he asked me how I was measuring my success and I didn't understand him at first I didn't quite know what where he was going with this and so I said I don't know what you mean and he said how have you been measuring your progress this entire marathon what have you been doing to measure your progress and I said, well, that, that I can answer. I mean, I've just been looking for the green mile markers just so I can see where I'm at. Mm-hmm. He said, well, that's not a bad way to measure, but, but those mile markers are they're a long ways apart and they come few and far between. He said, why don't you consider going back out if you so desire and I'll support whatever you decide, he said. But if you'll consider going back out and not even look for the green mile markers, and now I'm really confused. He says, I don't even want you to look to your right. Don't even look for the green mile markers. I want you to look to your left and watch what's right in front of you. And I want you to count the yellow stripes in the middle of the road one at a time and see what happens. And so this was a test of faith for me and also trusting my dad. I did do it reluctantly. But after the first hour or two of doing it, I got excited because I pushed over 2,300 stripes that night. And I was ready to quit. So we went out the next night. And that night was a little over 8,000 stripes. And on the next night that I did that, it was we're upwards of 10 to 11,000 stripes. And when we hit that mark, we hit Apex Junction. I didn't even know where we were at. And Apex Junction is about 17 miles away from Vegas. It's the last crest before you go down into Vegas. It's all downhill from there. So on day number 11, we waited until 9 o'clock in the morning. And they stopped the strip shut down the spotlights, had a full police motorcade, a helicopter above that was filming, and I coasted my way into the Mirage. And as I went down the strip, there were people coming out early in the morning, you know, nine or 10 o'clock in the morning, cheering me on. I know they were all drunk, but it didn't matter to me. I was just happy to have them there. <laughs> nice to have a crowd. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't matter. It was motivation for me, Mary Alice. Yeah. It was beautiful. And when yeah. I crossed the finish line, there went up a cheer from all these people that were running and following behind me that made me weep because they were watching it on the TV screens inside their inside the casinos. They'd been gambling all night. And they came out and were there to welcome me at the finish line and came up and they were watching the story on the news there in the hotel rooms. And it made me weep. And the lesson that I learned is it's the small things that we do. It's not by any big grand event that we find out our potential. Mm -hmm. And so that was a turning point for me in my life as well. Yeah, I love how your dad helped you change your mindset. Instead of looking at the mile markers, you were looking at the yellow stripes. So it gave you something to focus on and count to keep your mind almost active while you were doing it. Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right about that. And just a different perspective, right? I think sometimes the way we view a challenge or a problem like the the road and the way that we view and the lens that we use will dictate the results that we get. It can either create an outstanding result or create something that we never would have known that we could have had. So... And it goes to show how powerful the mind is. The mind is more powerful in many ways than the body. The mind can overcome fear and doubt and push us to levels of productivity and influence that we never knew were unimaginable. No, you're right. You're right. That was it. And that was all mind. 
I mean, my strength was shut down. So yeah. it was, it was all mine. You're right. The power of the mind. You hear a lot of marathoners talk about that too. They kind of get to this point where they're just going on pure mental strength. Like their body is breaking down, but their mind just keeps them going. It's amazing. So at one of your presentations, you said this powerful statement that I want to quote. There might be people sitting here today that have full function of their bodies that are more paralyzed than I will ever be in my lifetime. That is a powerful statement. It's pretty brash, isn't it? I love it. It's true. Yeah, it's bold. I try and be careful when I say that, but I do say that frequently. And I don't know that there's too many presentations where I, I don't somehow say that or at least allude to that phrase. And all I, I'm not trying to offend people by that. All I'm saying is that, in fact, even on this call right now, this, this podcast, I'm sure there's probably listeners that feel trapped, unable to go where they want to go or do what they want to do. And my whole point in saying that's paralysis right there. And for those of us on a call that refuse to change the way that we go to school, the way that we engage with each other, whether or not we wear a mask, and I'm not here to talk about what people's beliefs are. I'm not picking one or another. I'm just saying that things are changing in our world. For those of us who refuse it, reject it, denounce it, life will still change without you and will be more painful. For people that refuse to change the way they've done things in the past, they will find themselves trapped in their own patterns. And I'll just use me as an example. If I were to refuse to change the way that I court my spouse, we wouldn't be married today. I'm not saying that that's all on me. Shondell's also changed that, probably more so than me. So kudos to her for Mm -hmm. being able to teach me, right? So that's not an accolade or trying to bolster me up. It's Shondell has also had a a huge mind shift in the way that our relationship exists today. If I were to refuse the way that I coach my kids in basketball, I wouldn't have been their coach. I would have just been stuck in that mindset that there's only one way to coach. Today, I don't farm by getting on a tractor or a horse or a four-wheeler. Today, I get on an airplane and I farm people. I'm still living a dream that I never dreamt and still accomplishing goals that I never thought that I would be able to do. And so that's what I mean by people that are paralyzed, that may be more paralyzed than myself. It's, it's a mindset shift and it's being willing to adapt to change. And when we look at it from that perspective, you begin to embrace it rather than run away from it. Yeah. I like that visual too, of you just farming people. That's pretty powerful. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I've never heard that expression before. I love that. I think sometimes we think to ourselves, I used to think that the acreage that Shondell and I live on was a big piece of ground. And I think sometimes we think too small. I mean, when I compare the acres that we live on and compare that to the number of countries that I've been to, and then I wheel my chair out at night and I see all the stars, I think to myself, man, there's got to be a lot of green fields up in that sky. There's (laughs) worlds, and they're not even in a drought. I'm sure there's worlds without endless water, right? There's no drought at all. They've got plenty of water and the animals are healthy and that things are going well. That's just my mindset. There's such a a much more grand picture than what I can comprehend. And when I look at it from that perspective, it, it helps me wake up with purpose and passion every morning. And everyone needs that. Everyone needs a purpose and a passion. We do. I mean, as people who live on this earth, we crave it. I think one of the biggest catalysts to depression and anxiety is not having purpose, not having something to get up for, not having something we're excited about in our life. 
And I love that you have totally and it doesn't have to yourself. become big, right? Mary also right. doesn't have to be where you have this big following. I think one of the biggest mistakes that we do today, because social media is so prevalent, is we dictate our influence and the impact we have by the number of likes somebody comments on. And if somebody yeah. that we know does not like it or does not comment, we think that, okay, I'm going to stop following them or I'm not going to like theirs or I'm not going to. I just think social media is such a huge, it's not bad altogether. But today, if we let it become prevalent in our lives and it becomes our measuring stick of how we measure our success, then we are in trouble. So we got to be very, very careful. That is so true because many of us are just self-defeating. We don't see how we can achieve success in life and we can be our own worst enemy, especially when we fail. Because then we think, okay, well, now I can never amount to anything. So how can we see past this negative mindset to allow ourselves to manifest our potential? Because that can get so many people caught up. No, you're right. Absolutely right. I think comparison is just, it's the adversary or it's the advocate of the adversary. The comparison is the worst. And whenever I compare myself to other people or compare myself to other people coaching their kids or somebody else dancing with their wife and I can't stand up and dance, I'm depressed, I'm unhappy, I'm unsuccessful, I'm unproductive, and the world's coming to an end. But when I focus on what I still have, which is a lot, even though it's it's little bits and pieces, but it adds up to a lot, I'm more happy, more productive, more successful, and more comes to me in that process. Mm-hmm. Talk about productivity. I mean, last year you spoke at 220 different events, traveling over 300,000 miles. That's pre-COVID, right? That's pre-COVID. That's, all That's pre-COVID. <laughs> After COVID hit on March the 6th, that was our, we have flown a little bit since then. So the virtual world has been good to us. I think you and I did an event here just most recently where we have the okay. studio just like you have. And so the virtual platform has been one of adaptation. If we wouldn't have adapted to that, we probably wouldn't be being able to get a message out to people and, and wouldn't have a way to provide for ourselves. So that virtual plat, that virtual studio has been really, really good to us. And just, again, adaptation. We've done a lot of in-person events out at our lodge. And so that's uh, still abiding by CDC guidelines. That's mm-hmm. been advantageous for us. And so we're just trying to adapt all the change that's happening. Yeah. And I love you have this quote, we can rethink, reinvent, and recreate our thinking habits to achieve what most think is unachievable. And that's that mindset shift again. And now with COVID, you were traveling over 300,000 miles and speaking on five continents in four countries last year. And now you're shifted your focus to the online platform and you can still have power and you can still have the opportunity to help others that way. Yeah, you can reach more people. I mean, in a single day, we can do three or four different events all over the world instead of having to get on an airplane. And I shouldn't say having to because I really enjoy the travel. I do miss it excessively. But the virtual platform is something that's really new, relatively speaking. But that said, it's just refreshing. I did a live event night before last in Salt Lake with 50 people. They had two at a table. And I'll do a live event at a church house tonight in Springville, Utah, Spanish Fork. I guess it's Spanish Fork, Utah. And there's just something about being with people that can't be replaced. And so, yes, the virtual platform is great. We can reach and and have an outreach there. That's just an ad hoc to what we were already doing. So I'm looking forward to the time when the time comes that we, I don't know if it'll ever be the same, but I do believe that people will get back together again in some form or fashion. People are yearning for that. They're Mm -hmm. yearning to have their families back in their homes, reunions, because you just don't know who's going to get somebody else sick. And so you have to be cognizant and very cautious of that. And so with that said, I'm looking forward to, to meeting in person again with people.
And there is something to that. I mean, I know with my interviews, I've done everything virtually like we're doing right now through another platform like Zencaster, where we can both be online and recording, but it's not the same as being physically with somebody and engaging with somebody. There's something special about that. Absolutely. No, we're not a social distancing people, Mary Alice. We're not. We're a social people. Right. And so I think that just that phrase itself, social distance, we don't. We're going to have to physically distance apart, but we're not a social distance. We like to talk to people. We like to say, hello, how are you doing? We like to see people's faces with their mouth, their nose. Mm-hmm. You can tell a lot about people's, you know, their teeth, their smile, which we can't see behind a mask. And right. so. That's true. The expression, that's been a little different. When you see people in stores and whatnot, you can't see them smiling or reacting to you. You're just seeing their eyes. It's so different. I'm so bad. Half the time, I can't recognize who's talking to me because I can't see the rest of their face. Right. It's it's true. Have you had that happen? You know that person and you know who they are, but you can't see. All you're seeing is 30% of their face and you're 60 or 70% of their face. And so, all right, where's that puzzle fit? (laughs) Who is it? How does that work? So. I know. And then it's like, you're not supposed to, it's a social faux pas. Put your mask down to identify yourself. <laughs> right. Hurry and take your mask off so I can say, oh, yes. Hello. Yeah. Mary Alice, it's you. Great to see you. I can only see your eyes and I'm not right. your husband. I don't see your eyes like your husband sees your eyes. And so it's, I didn't right. know it was you, Mary Alice. Sorry. Yeah. So. It is a different world that we are yeah, living in. It is, for sure. For sure. But the, you have a really powerful statement that I like that you said, you don't begin to realize your true potential until you've lost something significant. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, I think a lot of that goes back again to my accident, but people can relate to that today. Even with the news, the loss of one of your and I's colleagues yesterday. Oh, Colin. Colin yeah, yeah. A huge loss. And his wife is devastated. And I was talking with uh, Leslie in my office this morning about that and her response. And while her response is surprising to many Christians, we're not allowed to judge that. I mean, she's struggling now with her faith. Her husband of just a few years, and they have four children, has been taken at age 39, almost 40. And this guy did a lot of good for a lot of people, several followers on social media, several hundred thousand followers on social media, and was an advocate for helping children. His hashtag that he used was Save the Kids. So back to your question and his beautiful wife, Liz, who is just struggling with this unexpected loss, unplanned loss. We don't begin to hold things sacred until we lose something. And so when I compare that to myself, I think about the loss of my legs and the loss of my hands or even a relationship or causing pain among somebody else. I don't think we should wait to lose that until we hold it sacred. I, I think we should look at everything around us and keep it sacred. It's something as simple as holding my wife's hand. I can't feel Shondell's touch when we hold hands. I just can't feel it. My hands are numb. Mm. But it's okay in that I can still hold her hand and realize that it's not about my hand anyway. It's about her hand. But we don't want to wait to lose somebody like Colin or lose. A lot of people right now have lost a lot. They've lost their freedom. They've lost their jobs. They've lost their income. They've lost their faith. They've lost hope. And I think that we need to do what I am reminded of daily in my office as I talk to Leslie or even Shondell. And remember, I know this sounds cliche, but remember what I still have. I don't like to use the term take for granted because I think it's overly used, but we got to remember what we still have, Mary Alice. And when I look at that and realize that I still have 5% of my body that functions really well, and even though I've lost 95% of my body, more comes to me in that process. More prosperity, more happiness, more fulfillment, more joy. No, I'm not getting more feeling back. 
but that's not what my focus is. My focus right. is on being making progress. My focus yeah. is on moving forward. Yeah, and focusing on progress. That's the key. Yeah. Yeah. You have a really great quote that says, I thank God that you and I go through the challenges and paralysis of life because through those challenges and that pain, the most amazing thing happens. You and I discover our potential and we discover what we can go through. Just add that we become more like the person that created us. Mm -hmm. I don't know how spiritual this podcast is and I'm not trying to be a preacher. I'm not even ordained to do that, but I I think I don't know that I could enter my creator's presence and not having gone through any challenges. I would feel very awkward. In fact, insufficient to be in his presence because he went through all sorts of challenges. And I just don't think that I could be in that room or that kind of atmosphere where here I had life without any incidents at all. And, and that's where we all like to be. And yet I think through all of it, there's a guy by the name of Neil Maxwell that had a great quote that said that no one can be refined without enduring a little bit of heat. We all need to go through that. Yeah. It's the refiner's furnace. We need to be refined by going through some challenges and some adversity. I love what you were just saying too about holding your wife's hand. It's like your mind changed around that. It wasn't about you feeling her hand. It was about her feeling your hand. Yeah. A totally different perception, right? Yeah, for sure. And when I focus on it being my hand or I say, I wish I could feel your hand, it brings her down. I wish I could feel your hand, Chandel. It now my focus has shifted and I just, it's become about me. Mm-hmm. And instead of saying, it's great to hold your hand tonight, that changes the whole atmosphere and the countenance of the room. So you have to be very, very careful about your focus and what, I guess, what comes out of our mouth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's true with being a quadriplegic, in some ways it's enhanced your life in ways you could have never imagined. I mean, did you ever think you'd be this motivational speaker speaking to powerful audiences, Fortune 500 companies. I mean, you're having an impact on people that probably never thought possible being a farmer and raising elk on your ranch. I mean, it's interesting how God had a different path for you and that you're going with it and you're embracing it and you're doing something with what he's given you. And it's still changing for sure, right? Because we're not able to do that today. It's still changing. But yeah, and I still don't know that I know clearly what my purpose is. I mean, Others might say, well, how can you not see it? But something new happens all the time. And there's something challenge happens, something challenging happens every day. I mean, things don't always go as I plan. And so I've been asked this question before. When did it finally hit to you, Chad, that you found your purpose and that you're fulfilling it? Kind of like what you're kind of alluding to now, Mary Alice, even though you haven't said that I found my purpose, that I am finding purpose in doing what I'm doing. But I've been asked, when did you finally become problem free. And that my response is, are you joking? Yeah. <laughs> are you kidding? I mean, if people only knew, so we always put our best face forward, including Chad Hymas. But the truth is we go through challenges all the time. And those challenges occur daily, whether it's a disagreement or trying to put out a fire that's happening in the office or at home, or maybe it's a child that's struggling with a grade, or maybe a child made a bad choice, whatever it might be. I don't always handle those circumstances the best. And so I'm still learning and growing. And I think we all need to look at it. Because we're human and we're here to have the earth experience, which involves struggle and hardship. That's part of the plan. It's part of the plan. It's part of the gig. We signed up for that. Yeah, we did. We signed up for that in the pre-mortal existence. And we are part of the elect who have decided to come down here and show Heavenly Father what we've got. And there's strife and challenges and hard things that come into our life. I love in Proverbs twenty nine eighteen it says, where there is no vision, the people perish. 
We have to have a vision and something to aspire to. We were created by God to do great things in this world. I agree. And I think a vision board and having it mapped out and written down, even though it might not go as per the GPS coordinates that you that you calculate, having that vision and that end result goal is so, so critical for us to achieve what our potential is. So I would encourage our listeners to have a vision of where they would like their relationships to go, have a vision of what they would like to do to make this world a better place, career-wise, education, spiritual study, meditation, whatever, my physical health, have that vision down and then do whatever you can to get there. And if something comes along the way that might be out of your control, that inhibits that physical health, like leukemia or a disease or cancer, still go with it. I mean, nobody planned on Colin dying yesterday. I didn't plan on me breaking my neck. You've got to go with it. Things aren't going to go as you map it out in your vision, but you've got to keep moving forward. Yeah. Alternate course, right? Alternate course. What's Siri say when you make a wrong turn? Recalculating. (laughs) Recalculating. I think we need to recalculate. So Yeah. And that is so true. And we'll end on that because that is the name of the game. If you are able to adjust and recalculate and modify your behavior and your life and your mindset, you're going to be able to get through this earth life easier than resisting. (laughs) resisting change, resisting things when they become hard. We can allow it to mold us to become the people God meant us to become. I agree. Totally agree. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. And I want to thank you for listening to the What Now podcast. We encourage you to share this episode with family, friends, and anyone you think it might help. Simply click on that share button wherever you listen to podcasts. Don't forget to leave us a rating and review. We read all your comments and it really helps us to grow. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter by searching podcast What Now. We never say goodbye. We say what now. Find out by tuning into our next podcast. This has been a What Now podcast production.